All right. <clears throat> now this is episode five of the Informed Catholic, and my name is Ned Jabbar. This is uh, episode five. So I'm going to read to you an arc article from Crisis Magazine, January fourth, twenty twenty-two. It's by a um, a favorite scholar of mine by the name of Anthony Esselin. He's he's really great. Uh, he's best known for his translation of the Divine Comedy by Dante Allegori. In his translation, he puts in some great commentary. Uh, one, he shows that Dante's um, poem um, is really is steeped in Catholic theology, philosophy doctrine and teaching of Thomas Aquinas. Um, but this one is not about, it's not about the, the, um, the divine comedy. This is about, it's, called, it's titled tradition is no dead thing. And this is important because it shows um, the kind of mindset that we're going through now in our society, what's happening in the church and what's happening in secular culture. And this, this battle uh, and war against um the beautiful um the beautiful uh, things we've inherited from past achievements past uh goals of of uh of of all the greeks and roman philosophers socrates and 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 the beautiful uh achievements of the past and the attitude of the present to sort of want to wipe it all away i don't know if you remember with the last star wars um, you know, with that whole Ray thing, there's a scene. Um, the character who wanted to be sort of like a Darth Vader, um, Kylo Ren. I I I, I watched some of it, but I didn't see it in the theater. I rented on Amazon Prime, and there's a scene in um in this new Star Wars where the character of Kylo Ren says to Ray, "Just just kill the past or." Th- destroy the past, destroy everything. And that is the attitude of a Marxist. That's the attitude. It's actually funny that this character says that because remember when we went through the shutdown with all the Antifa characters, um, these, these people on the street, the, the protesters though, the, that were destroying things, they, that is the attitude of a Marxist. That is the attitude of the anarchist, destroy the past. Because the past to them is always a symbol, is a very powerful symbol and a legacy for the people in the present. Not that we live in a past, but we, we, that we, we, uh, we have to have something to build on. How do we know what the future is if we don't know what the past is? And uh, the Marxist attitude is the past is a dead thing. It's dead. But the modernist is constantly a cancer onto himself. It's like a, uh, an animal with his foot trapped, you know, and chews his foot away to get away. And here you'll see Anthony Eslin points to, you're teaching your children to hate and destroy the past. What's to stop them from turning on you or the next generation from turning on them? The knife, the blade of constant anarchy is a blade that turns in on its on, 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 on itself. It's like when you think you're stabbing the past, you're really stabbing yourself. You're teaching the next generation to, to stab you. And that's exactly what we have here. Anyway, uh, Anthony Esselin, um, his last name, Esselin, is E-S-O-L-E-N. And this article is from Crisis Magazine, January 4th, 2022. Tradition is no dead thing. Anthony Esselin. So let's begin. Okay, let's begin. The I'll read you the first title of each paragraph here. Aeneas in exile from Troy, that queen of Asia, which the Greeks have burned to the ground. Huh. Okay, uh, and has come, Aeneas has come to Italy to settle his, re- his refugee people. 
But meeting with hostility from an alliance of the natives there, he seeks to find his own allies, the Arcadians who dwell on the site that, that will become Rome. There King Evander, the name, the name means good man, has promised to assist him. Not the least of his motives is that a chieftain of cruel impiety, Mizenteus, Mizenteus is among Aeneas' opponents. Here, Avender describes the most remarkable inhuman thing that Mizenteus does. Okay, how shall I relate the carnage beyond telling? Beastly crimes this tyrant carried out. Requite them gods on his own head and on and on the on, and and on his children's head he would even couple carcasses with living bodies as a form of torture hand to hand face to face he made them suffer corruption oozing gore and slime in that wretched embrace and a slow death okay so aeneas is um the the hero of the uh Aeneid, Aeneid. Uh, he is a prince, a uh, former prince of Troy. Troy has been destroyed by the Greeks, burned down to the ground, and Aeneas has taken the survivors of Troy and they escaped to Italy. They're refugees. They lost their kingdom. They lost their home. They lost everything. And here he has to find a way to survive. And in this land of Italy, there's several different tribes. And he hasn't... It hasn't gone well for him. And so therefore he has befriended this King Evander. His name means good, a good man uh, who lives. They live in this. Uh, he's, they're Arcadians and they live in uh, the site that will one day become the capital of Rome. And the king uh, befriending Aeneas tells him about this evil king called Mesenteus. And Mesenteus is uh, a, 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 a sadistic person. He has this pleasure where he tortures his victims by tying them to dead corpses that are rotting corpses. And, you know, he obviously said the man is evil and may the gods punish him for the things he's done. This particular translation I just read to you, uh, Esalen is, um, he translated, uh, he took a passage from by Robert Fitzgerald's uh, Aeneas, uh, Aeneid. So, uh, in, in the Aeneid, it was actually written by Virgil. I, uh, Virgil uh, appears in Dante's uh, Inferno. He's sent to be a, a guide for Dante in um, to help him go through hell, uh, through purgatory, and help him to go to heaven. Sent by Dante's former dead lover, uh, Beatrice. And so uh, Virgil was a great, great Roman poet in the time of Caesar Augustus. He wrote a lot of different poems. And in the Aeneid is one of uh, one of his work that he left unfinished, unfortunately. And so this is, um, um, you know, uh, Esalen is a classicist. He loves the classics and he teaches the classics at a Catholic boys' school. So, all right, let's continue. Heading title again. It appears to me that in the present conflict, conflicts within the church, yes, the church has a lot of conflicts, which have their own analogs elsewhere in schools and colleges, in the arts, many uh, people understanding of their um okay hold on in the arts uh it appears to me that the, that in the present conflicts within the church which have been which have their analogs elsewhere in schools and colleges in the arts in in many a people understanding of their own history and especially in secular politics we are fighting without perhaps being aware of it over a question of fact let us all agree that it is evil to bind a living person to a dead thing, to be infected by the corpse and to die. The question is, what is that dead thing? So he's using the quote 
and the situation of Aeneas and then this thing of a king who ties people to dead corpses, living people to dead corpses. So we're getting set here to use this metaphor. Is uh, You're going to learn about modernism and classicism, uh, classical uh, classicism, the past, the, uh, the ancient past. Is the past a dead thing or is modernism, Marxist modernism, a dead thing? So get ready. The modernist, the modernist, okay, what is a dead thing? The modernist response is that the dead thing is the past. Literary critics have a term for people who love traditional forms of art and the worlds they recall to mind. Necrophiliacs, the presumption is always against tradition, as if that noun came with inevitable adjectives. Hide-bound, close-minded, antiquated, musty, and anachronistic, stolid, blind. Okay? Marx saw the entire history of man as a struggle between the classes, as if the medieval guild was no other or no better than the sweatshops of industrial England. Feminism sees the entire history of man, with exception for sentimental views of, or of favorite Aboriginal tribes, as the suppression of women by her irredeemable enemy called man. History is bunk, said Henry Ford. From sea to shining sea, schools instill disdain in their students waving away the great artists and poets of the past as dead white males, and thus sparing them the considerable trouble of learning how to read culture and, uh, 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 culture and Milton. I might be pronounced that, but it's the writer of the Canterbury Tales, okay? Okay, so before we go further, so now we we have this thing now that, People even call mathematics racist. We've had uh, people who call the Constitution as racist. We've had people who say uh, everything about the past, even uh, uh, whatever, um, like the Greek philosophers as race, white racist men. It's it's a it's very much what Marx Marx compared. Uh, the study uh, of the past as uh, as as I said, comparing it to sweatshops, and this is basically um, this is basically destruction of the mind. It's a way to control people. It's it's a way of sort of like it's like trying to make some uh, creating amnesia. It's torture. Okay. Because the question is, here's the thing, why? It's, it's basically um, censorship. It's censorship. It's, po it's political, social, intellectual censorship. Telling people not to learn this, not to learn that, saying that, you know, you ever heard, you've heard this, I'm sure, people saying two and two doesn't have to make four or two and three don't have to make five. Okay. You know, it can be, uh, they say, uh, people, uh, uh, black people do math differently than white people. <laughs> Numbers don't lie. Okay. Algebra was not created by white people. Algebra was created by, uh, I believe, uh, probably Persians, Persian uh, mathematician. Okay. The Greeks and uh, the Greeks didn't just use mathematics. The Egyptians used mathematics too. How would they build their pyramids and build their structures? Everybody uses numbers. Okay, it doesn't matter if if you know if if they you know whatever it is. Everyone, even even someone who's uh, Native Americans, must abuse numbers. Everybody uses them. It's universal. It's one of the greatest uh, phenomenons of, uh, of the universe. Numbers don't lie. Numbers are universal. This is torture. This is sadistic. These people using, always having to place racism and everything is sadistic. All right, let's continue. Okay, so... Marx himself says that he calls the uh, the medieval guild was no 
better than the sweatshops of industrial England. And then funny how he says here, feminism sees the entire history of man uh, uh, with exception for sentimental views of favorite Aboriginal, uh, Aboriginal tribes, a suppression of woman by her irredeemable enemy man. Okay. He, you know, and, and I, I, I never heard, uh, I, I guess it might be surprising, but I don't know why Henry Ford would say history is bunk. Okay. So yes, you ever seen all these hipsters, these globalist environmental hipsters, uh, you know, the way, you know, that their, their obsession with yoga and, uh, uh, Buddhism and uh, you know uh, you know Eastern Eastern spirituality they always have this this um, love affair with Aboriginal people you know they want to take off their clothes and they want to try to become that tribalistic people and everything and you know the free loving and you know uh, free sex attitude minded people you know they're always you know, putting, you know, these white women always put these little red dots in their head trying to imitate uh, Eastern uh, Eastern spirituality and everything and, you know, f- oh, flip-flops and all that. It's weird. They, they, they love this, um, you know, I'm, I'm spiritual, not religious. It, it, it's hilarious. Tarot card reading and palm reading and they love to get uh, hinna tattoos and stuff like that and you know just really oddball characters and you know crystals <laughs> it, it's really interesting how they they would they will always find an exception for something and uh it's you know yeah you know yeah and and they and of course everything is race uh or everything that is uh bible and and judaism oh yeah well they'll except for Ka- Ka- uh, kabbalah they love kabbalah for some reason but weird okay let's continue but what if modern hits what if modernism i would actually call it marxist modernism modernism itself is the dead thing again we are arguing a question of fact the most remarkable thing about modernism as an ideology or even as an emotional attitude, it is destructive hatred, envy, and violence. Chairman Mao and his Red Guard battled to, uh, to destroy the four olds, old ideas, old culture, old customs, old habits. They steeped China in blood. Yeah, it's a cultural revolution uh, that they went through. They almost destroyed everything of ancient China and they wanted to strip the people of their past. American proponents of a living constitution, living constitution is very, be very careful of that term, do not really believe that written laws say what they wish it, what, what they wish it to say. It simply does not matter what it says. And by the abortion license, it has steeped America in blood. You know, it in the old Soviet Union, really inconsistently between veneration of and hatred for ancient Russian culture, sent authors and artists to the gulags for being reactionary, for committing the dreadful crime of dragging their feet as the nation was marching forth into the glorious future. Let me read this one more time. I think I might have skipped something. American proponents of a living constitution do not really believe that uh, that the written law says what they wish it would wish it to say. It simply doesn't matter what it says. Yeah. And by the abortion license, it has steeped America in blood. The old Soviet Union reeling inconsistently between the veneration of and hatred of ancient Russian culture sent authors and artists to the gulags for being reactionary, for committing the dreadful crime of dragging their feet as the nation was marching forth into the glorious future. So, yeah, living constitutionists do not, uh, the term living is basically what they're using the term is evolving and evolving means it can you know it, it you know we have to we have to remember that it's uh that it doesn't have to be mean what it says that it uh, that we can change constitutional rights 
because our society is changing. We are evolving. We're changing. We're we're constantly uh, moving forward, and we have to be. We have to catch up with the times. Do you get it? And what? It's a way, basically, so they can make write the law whatever they want it to be. It could be one. It could be one decade. It could be this, and one day it cannot be this. They could say. They could say. Well, what does freedom of speech really mean? Can you really say what you want to say? What if what you said can be offensive to somebody? You know, how do you know? What if you're? You know, what if what if someone gets really hurt psychologically hurt by what you're saying? So they're constantly. They're going to change it because they need to be one step ahead of controlling you. Your freedom is a danger to them, is a danger to their power. Your freedom of speech is dangerous to them. You see how cancel culture. Suddenly, who created cancel culture? Who decides what to cancel who? Who decides what you can say and what you cannot say? Someone else is going to decide it, not you. And if you said something, someone maybe they decide that you can you have to be arrested because you posted something. Who gets to decide what's illegal, what's not illegal? You know, I can you know you see it, it's very dangerous. So yeah, that's you know, this is something we you know we have to really be uh, be a step ahead. All right. This part here of the paragraph, I, uh, this paragraph I like because it's true. We have to be honest on both on from both ends. You know, we don't want the um, the liberals to sort of throw things back in our face, but we have to be honest about things. Of course, people devoted to tradition can be bloody and warlike too. Think of the ancient Romans. Think of the uh, the Syaks and the Apaches. Think of the Zulus. But modernism is hostile at its heart. It is defined by opposition, and what it propose, opposes is a deeply human thing, a natural good. Man does not live merely in time like a tree or a dog. By his imagination and his memory, he seeks to grasp time at both ends to transcend it. The dreadful curse of the Old Testament is that a people's place will know them no more. That curse is modernism's demand. If I say you are, you are graduating people with degrees in English who do not recognize the name of George Herbert, the modernist response is to shrug and say, so what? Or to cock their head back and say, exactly. So it's interesting. So, yeah. So you have to remember the past in order to understand the present, how you got to where you are. And to know how to navigate in the future so the next generation can survive. And I mean, think of it um, amazingly. Think of the um, the two particular groups, I think, that are a good example. Hasidic Jews. All right. Um, I mean, we don't have to agree about how they live their lives and everything. But amazingly, uh, if you're not from New York, uh, they run stores. They uh, restaurants, kosher restaurants. They even sell. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, they work in um, computer stores and they sell uh, TVs and computers and 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 all kinds of uh, equipment, camera equipment, and everything. And they they learn. They know how to use technology. Another example is the Amish. One cannot always agree with the Amish, but how they live, but. They they managed to survive. They managed to adjust. I've never been to uh, where Amish country is, but I've seen pictures where you see them with their wagon and their kids going to church, and they got, you know, they they managed somehow to survive, you know, um, in everything. You see, even uh, um, Buddhists, right? They, you know, the Tibet. And you see uh, different, uh, different, different groups of people that manage to survive. You know, even modern, even certain Islamic sects have managed to survive. Everybody has something they've they've adjusted and they live in in the modern world and they manage somehow to survive. 
you 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 also you know, in Catholicism you will find various forms of um, monastics and religious. You know they've survived. They somehow survive. Everyone met even in a Catholic church. We uh, we managed to survive. We managed to um, keep the faith moving. Uh, but we stray true to orthodoxy in in the church. Some Catholics, of course, of course, have a problem with that, and they want to they want to they want to change everything. The priesthood and everything. But honestly, giving into the world, there are sensible places you can adjust. And there are other places you cannot compromise. No one means to compromise your faith, to compromise the or to compromise the orthodoxy of your faith, or compromise the orthodoxy of your of your of your religion's theology and philosophy or anything. But at the core the core values of the faith, the, the, it's, it's, it's apart from the world still. It's in the world, but not of the world. There's a difference. Okay. All right, so let's continue. But there is a terrible self-contradiction here, one that many people have noted. You cannot consign your forefathers to irrelevance without instructing your son to do the same to you. The blade turns against the hand. See what that implies? We have set aside polyester bell-bottom trousers in their loud colors. They are an embarrassment now. So is Jesus Christ Superstar, who sings that pleasantly trivial song by Suer Suer beginning Dominique Nike Nikes en Eliette. Taught simplement. I have no idea what it is. Let it let it go, but then let go also of the world. Okay. Uh, by revolutionary social and understandings that come from the to- from that time, liberation theology mold is growing on it. Nothing can lay claim to uh, pr- uh, pr- preeminence. Obviously, modernists themselves do not want that. They ten, they ten, that the, the tenacity with which they, which elderly Roman Catholics cling to the dreams of their youth, when the Second Vatican Council tried to usher the Church into what the Fathers thought was the modern world, shows that they are more human than their philosophy warrants. They too want tradition. They too want culture, but the modernists cannot provide it. Yeah. So, yeah, we've uh, a lot there. I mean, the modern world is constantly changing. And a lot of uh, Vatican II wasn't the problem, but there were certain um, part uh, people within Vatican II that I think some probably were naive, some were that was rather more malicious. But the problem was, is that they thought they can hijack the church. They thought they can hijack the church. And and some thought, I guess, foolishly, naively and foolishly, uh, let's be, befriend the world. Let's uh, show the world we, we can be useful. But I think what happened was, I think, um, yeah. I think just some people within within it were naive, some were malicious. They had malicious intent. And I think the world outran them. And I think the world um eventually threw them aside, cast them aside, cast them into the wasteland. You know, they just were foolish. They were foolishly naive. You know, um, there was a, a lot of things that I mean. The Nova Sordo is not. I don't like the name. I don't like the, the term "New World Order." New, uh, new order. It's foolish. I think you can't say it's illegitimate. I know I, I probably said some things in the past, but it was never meant to be done the way it is. If it's done reverently, and I think I've said this, I've learned now, you can say it reverently. 
It should be set facing the tabernacle, facing ad orientum. It should, there should be communion distributed on the tongue. Get rid of all this liturgical dance and all this liturgical nonsense. And, 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 and the priest should be preaching more orthodox and should not be, you know, I think a lot, a lot can be fixed, but unfortunately, alas, we have very weak human people, but everything he's saying here was an embarrassment, was an embarrassment. I mean, I have I mean, Jesus Christ superstar was horrible and, it, you know, it is still horrible. I mean, I, I, you know, just as horrible as the, as, as any musical West Side Story. I'm not into musicals. So, yeah. All right. Let's, um, let's continue. Obviously, obviously, martyrs themselves do not want that. The tenacity which they, elderly Roman Catholics, cling to their dreams of their youth when the Second Vatican Council tried to usher their church into what the fathers thought was the modern world shows that they are more human than their philosophy warrants. They too want tradition. They too want culture. But modernism cannot provide it. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, because what happens is suddenly the Vatican II crowd found them, find themselves holding on to what they believe was their tradition. But unfortunately, uh, the, the modern world doesn't provide that. There is nothing constant. There's everything within a, a, a week becomes yesterday. It doesn't matter to them. Again, I'm arguing mo uh, more from fact than form. The inner contradictions of the modernist attitude. We might consider any one of the arts. Before we get to the quality of production, we must note that the disappearance of, an, of the entire genres of art, with nothing recognizable to take their place. In poetry, the epic, the romance, the narrative, the dramatic monologues, the ode, the epistle, and the hymns are all pretty much gone. And the difficult lessons of meter and rhyme and formal construction have not been handed down. When I say a poetry, those who learned in the craft can say about architecture. We must, we must almost be archaeologists to, cover, to recover what the masons, carpenters, and plasterers, metal workers, and, gla and glazers did a mere hundred years ago let alone a thousand years ago. We no longer ask why we do not now build grand central stations. We ask why we cannot do it. <laughs> He's right about that. Uh, similarly, we do not ask why the neighborhood boys do not get together with guitar, banjos and clarinets, trumpets and drums to play music out of their heads. We hardly remember that such a thing ever happens. Scott Joplin was far closer to Mozart. George Gershwin was uh, was closer to Richard Strauss than any of them are to us. Now and to our largely mass-produced music with its severely limited range in genre. Huh. Modern architecture is very boring. Yeah, I'm sure the Guggenheim looks interesting, but I don't think it's great. I think the architecture of the Metropolitan Museum is almost like a temple. When I look at it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of of uh, kind of like the temple in Jerusalem or something. It just has a beautiful thing. It's outside. It has beautiful friezes or medallions with, you know, dedicated to the the, the Renaissance. Uh I think the Met is a beautiful encyclopedia of art. Um, I think it's beautiful when you go in there, you have these beautiful Greek galleries, the Roman Greek galleries, fantastic. Um, the vases, the red vases, the, with, the, with the black figures, and even the more primitive vases before that, beautiful. Uh, the Egyptian is fantastic. Uh, ancient, you know, prim, you know, more classical uh, or prehistoric Egypt, and then you see the prehistoric Greeks, and you compare the figures. It's fantastic and, and beautiful. You go in later on to later Greece and Rome. Beautiful stuff. Beautiful. 
beautiful, uh, you know, encyclopedia, uh, African, ancient uh, African art. And you, you see the beauty, even when you go, you, you have a part of their, they don't have a very big one to uh, Ethiopia of um especially the uh, orthodox christian ethiopia it's not a big collection but it's beautiful the native american stuff the uh uh pre-columbian uh ancient america with the uh, aztecs and uh the uh, the incas and everything Col uh, uh ancient columbia it's beautiful stuff you got the medieval galleries you got the byzantine galleries you have um other uh you have also the um on top second floor um what's it called i forgot i'm sorry it's that island that's a dispute i can't think of it right now it's disputed between the turks and the greeks there's a lot of beautiful stuff there it has it, it you know it has everything they have the islamic and everything they have the renaissance to the um uh impressionist period to later impressionist period to the modern i don't care about the modern so much uh but you have ancient chinese japan you have uh early america to uh later america uh, you have a lot of the stuff. They have a musical instrument section. Uh, they have a lot of great things. And they have a beautiful Christmas tree that they set up that is uh, Neapolitan with beautiful figurines that they set up every year. People come and want to look at it. So people are not really... Modernism cannot... What you call modernists within 10 years is not going to be modern. What you call modernists in, um, in, in, in 20 years can't be called modern. It's just impossible. And the problem is it has difficulty sort of pinning itself down. They're going to have to rewrite the category all over again. They're going to have to redefine it. And that's why that's one of the things about some scholars, especially in the art world, it gives them an opportunity to write and publish papers and books. And that's what, and that's what they love, basically. And the problem is modernism, you have to define what exactly you want to call modernist. What exactly is it? Is the political modernism? Is it uh, social modernism? What exactly are you, what category are you going to put it in? And what exactly uh, is it a political movement or is it a social movement? Is it an economic movement or is it a, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, you know, they're, they're, you know and anthropologists are going to be involved in it one way or another. They're going to be uh, sociologists. They're going to be involved in it in some way. The question is, what exactly? And what may, and what's in, in can, can you even define it as good? Is it healthy? I mean, they want to redefine families. They wanted to redefine a lot of things. It's not, you know, modernist, modern architecture doesn't look attractive. It looks very depressing. Some of the, mod some of the uh, modern art is depressing. You stare at it. You, what do you see? What are you supposed to be looking at? If you can't define it. There's a reason why people are awed in awe over Michelangelo's uh, David. I think it's great. I think the Piazza is far more beautiful. All I see, to me, it's supposed to be David. I can understand it. It could probably pass for more of an atom. But honestly, in the end, it just it, it, it's, it's a naked guy. Fantastic physique, fantastic body, beautiful. But I, have, I get more moved by his Piata. To me, the Piata, the young Virgin Mary holding the body of, of Jesus being brought down from the, from the cross is even far more beautiful than the Sistine Chapel. I actually don't think the Sistine Chapel is that great. I think it's a beautiful work, a fantastic work and of achievement, but I don't think it's, it's great because it doesn't really, it doesn't really make me want to worship. It doesn't make me want to pray. It doesn't give me 
the desire to pray. I think it's great to look at. Too many naked bodies up there. Um, I like Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox art far better. I think it's more holy. I'm, I'm really moved by that. I love Coptic uh, iconography. That I've, I've gotten to love more. That I've gotten to enjoy more. The Piata I hold higher. There's certain, there's certain artworks that say a lot to me. That actually speak more spiritually to me. Not all of Michelangelo's is that great. I think he's a fantastic, I think he was a fantastic artist. And I think he was a fantastic sculptor. It doesn't do anything for me, some of his stuff. The Piata, I hold at a higher level. And his, his um, that to me is greater. His David, right below the Piata. Uh, you know, and I think it's, it's more of an atom to me than that, but that's about it. But anyway, um, let's continue. Move away from the arts to the natural human things that all culture must accomplish. Here, our colossal failure is like a dead beast in the yard, stinking under the sun. That's an interesting way to say it. We have not one wholesome custom to get the boys and girls together. Our marriage rate has sunk into the cellar. Even as nearly half of marriages end in divorce, people who do not venerate their fathers bring their fatherless children into the world, and the boys and girls, each sex in its uh, you know each each sex in its own way go bad. Our children will see a hundred pornogra uh, pornographic videos for every innocent kiss they take. That may be an under understatement, and uh, before that. I forgot to mention how he said that um, liberation theology uh, uh, has mold on it. He's right about that. Um, because liberation theology was a, a, a way sort of like to merge uh, Marxism with the gospel of Christ. And it has just been a disaster. It has, first of all, it has been a disaster uh spiritually for the Jesuits. The Jesuits embraced it and it has destroyed them. I mean, just recently I was listening to a podcast uh, where um, Ralph Martin, Ralph Martin, he quoted some kind of Jesuit leader, the head of the Jesuits, when said something about, I don't know, he said something about Christ and something when someone brought up about how would Christ, you know, respond to it? And he said, well, can any of us know what Jesus really said? Did anybody have a, rec uh, a tape recorder to record what he said? And Ralph Martin responded back uh, to this, saying that what a malicious, horrible thing to say. And Jesuits really got caught on to it. And of course, Pope Francis himself is a Jesuit. And that has been very destructive. James Martin, Father James Martin, is a Jesuit. And they really embraced the liberation theology. It has made them into a joke. They're just one big joke. I mean, in a sense, Ronald McDonald has more respect in my eyes than them. They are like a really, a, just a failure, you know, a clown failure. They, they have really... Really, I have to say with all honesty, they are an embarrassment to the legacy of St. Ignatius of Loyola. They're an embarrassment, a horrible embarrassment. Theologically, spiritually, and ecclesiastically, they are an embarrassment. They are their constant undermining of the gospel, undermining of Christ, undermining. They embraced modernism to the point that they think they're smarter than the church. They think they're even smarter than the church. I mean, you see this even in Pope Francis. Pope Francis himself said, you know, I'm sorry. I pray for him. 
I find it very difficult. He says some good things and a lot of things he said bad. I think his problem is it's his Jesuit thinking. It's his Jesuit thinking. And I, with all honesty, I think a pope has to come around. This is my own view. Abolish them. They're not even faithful to their, to their, uh, to their, to their vocation. They're not faithful to their mission. And 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 with all honesty, I tend to agree with people. I mean, calling them the Society of Jesus, isn't every religious order the Society of Jesus? Isn't isn't every Catholic parish a Society of Jesus? I mean, they seem to like they're 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 constantly desperate to please the world, and they seem to think that the church has to evolve, like if it's some kind of uh, creature that just crawled out, out out of the water, and they seem to think that they have this they've embraced the philosophy and spirit of the world. They need to be abolished. They need. We need a new order that's faithful to St. Ignatius. Faithful to, 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 to what Ign- uh, Ignatius uh, theology is, Ignatius spirituality. It, you know, something that is more out to, to improve prayer. They did a lot of wonderful things. They, they, made, they made a lot of missions to South America. They made a lot of missions to Africa. They made a lot of missions to, 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 to Asia. But they're not, they're not, you know, they're not really a good order anymore. They're a danger to the church. They're a cancer to, to, to the church's uh, life of the church. They're constantly, constantly, honestly out to, to, they're always against the church. They're always at war with the church. You know, their obsession with, with, with social justice is problematic. They, 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 they tend to put that first before the, before the spirit and they tend to focus on materialistically. I mean, James Martin helped advise um, the, the, the Catholic fashion show at the Met. Really? That was important. And he's always constantly misrepresenting the faith in um, about sexuality. It's sad. It's unbelievably sad. All right. Let's go on here. Um, yeah, he's he's right about all the stuff. The we've a lot of young people. I mean, come on. Some of them have socialist Marxist tattoos, a hammer and sickle on their ankles or their shoulder. Some of them are wearing it on their backpack. A lot of them are wearing rainbow rainbow pins and rainbow flags. I mean, come on. People are going around with covid mass the, the 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 non-surgical mass with rainbow colors kids little girls are walking around with the you know the unicorn the unicorn has the unicorn this little head headdress rainbow headdress is a symbol of 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 uh of homosexuality now the the kids are being exposed to drag queen story time they're being told that they 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 can change from boy to girl and girl to boy. They they're being taught a lot of wrong things. And where is the church? The church embracing the world and trying to 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 be to appear friendly and not threatening to the world was hijacked and deliberately has been undermined. Socially, theologically, and spiritually. Her authority has been undermined. And this, this probably is that, that prophecy, you know, that vision that a Pope had, the Pope had 
about the conversation between our Lord and Satan. And the church is being undermined and being attacked. And and I hate to say that, but also this whole pastoral thing has to end. The pastoral ideology about pastorally, like accompaniment, meet 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 the world halfway. You know, uh, understanding them. It's it's gone too far. I mean, everything he said here about about the, the pornography and the internet. I mean, you know, it's like. Yeah, everything he's saying is true, but you're not going to be able to fix it if we don't have good priests, good pastors. Okay, our church, like our children, our churches, I'm sorry, like our children are few and not innocent. The secular hope that people would be united once they gave up belief in God has been shown as the anthropological absurdity that human culture and history could have demonstrated. Man is united, is united from above, not below. Appetites are boundless for sex, vengeance, wealth, rank, rank, fame, and power. But self-denial, humility, forgiveness, and divine worship allay the, the rage of the appetite. Uh, a lie, the rage, the appetite, and its frustrations, and they raise the mind to higher things, where the old saying really is true, the more the merrier. He's right. And you see that a lot of people just don't know. They don't even know what, what to believe. They, I mean, we, we've the Jesus seminar, remember that? I don't know if you remember that. There was a time when they, uh, Channel 13, Public Television, had this this uh, program called the Jesus Seminar. And it was all based on with this whole um, historical critical theory method, which has been abused. And there's a fellow called Dom, Dominic Crossan on there. I think he was uh, a, Domin- a Dominican you know, uh, uh, priest or, or whatever and he left the priesthood and became a uh, a, a scholar so so called and they're always um they're trying to the, the idea was to strip away the jesus of faith and try to find the jesus of the man and they tried to make him into another mahatma gandhi or a martin luther or a revolutionary that he was an accidental messiah that he walked into jerusalem and found himself becoming a messiah he became jesus uh, the Christ, not Jesus, the man, you know, and they did this and they, they, they're the ones with the, the whole Q gospel, uh, <clears throat> missing gospel that there was a, a source, the Q is in source gospel, uh, came out of German school and everything. And, and they did, they did all their damage, every single thing. And it, it, their, their theology long before this program was ever made found its way into the footnotes of the new American Catholic Bible. Uh, and, and unfortunately, it found its way into the seminaries. It found its way into the in, in, into Catholic universities, and you know a lot of some some of them, some of these uh, Catholic scholars of ours, some of them were Carmelites, some of them were um, Dominicans, some of them, you know, they 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 all they all um, adopted it, embraced it. Some of them didn't even deny, some of them denounced a virgin birth, but they called themselves Catholics and they're teaching at Catholic universities. It's, it's sad, but it's, this is, this is, this is what we had to deal with. And it affected our churches. It affected our priests. It a lot of them. You can tell, you can tell had problems. You can tell by the way they preach. You can tell by their, their that there's something going on with them. You know, we had a, a, a fellow, a priest in our, our parish, um, and people weren't happy with him. They made complaints, his preaching, his, um, and he asked for an early retirement. Uh, you know, something was going on with him. He, he was obsessed a lot with, his story of being adopted. It seemed to have constantly, he talked about it several times that he actually wanted to find his real mom. 
And he wound up bringing up a st- something about Steven Spielberg, who was directing some story, which basically, I don't know what's going to come out, but he's about a, something that happened over 100 years ago about a, a, ca- uh, a, a Jewish family where uh, a Catholic maid, this rich family in Italy that lived within the Pope's territory and found their, their child... Uh, she thought it was, she thought it was going to die. She secretly baptized the child, and then it was revealed later on that the child was baptized, and he was taken from his from his family. Sadly, it's an incident, and it's and uh, he actually grew up to become a Catholic priest, and he was preaching, and he uh, he embraced Catholicism. But I don't know how Spielberg is going to tell the story. But Spielberg obviously wants to do this because he wants to attack the Catholic Church. I don't know what's in, what his intentions are. I don't know why the priest brought this up, but he eventually, I think, requested requested uh, an early retirement uh, from from his ministry. I don't know what's going on with him, but it's it's something that shows me that there's a lot of these particular men. I don't think. I think they're I think they're really going through something. They're not confident. I think some of them I'm not too sure what their faith is, what state, what's what stage of their faith is in. But some of them I think ran into the faith either not sure or what of themselves. There's no confidence in themselves. There's no there's no confidence in their faith, and 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 a lot of and I think a lot of it has to do with with the with the culture and with the modernism itself. Because you know you you really do need to believe. You have to find out who you are. You can, you can't run into something like the priesthood, and and wrestle. You're wrestling with yourself. I mean, to be in that late in his life and still questioning himself still questioning, maybe still struggling with his adoption. You can't change the past. All you can do is, cha- is, is, is do something about yourself. And to me, faith is something that one should run into, not hide behind. You can't hide behind it. You have to embrace it and let it reshape you. And I think that's what's important about being being Catholic. He says, uh, you know, our churches, like our children, are few and not innocent. They sec- this, the secular hope that people would be united once they give up their belief in God has been shown as a anthropological absurdity, and that human culture and history could have uh, uh, could have demonstrated man is united from above, not below. And that's true. A lot of these guys are constantly running below. They for, they 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 took they taken the horizontal part of the cross and forgot about the vertical, the 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 the, the, uh, the the you know the vertical the vertical. I'm sorry, the vertical part of the cross that points up. You know, um, you know, appetites are boundless for uh, for sex, vengeance, wealth, rank, fame, power, but self denial. Humility and forgiveness and divine worship allay the rage of, of the appetites and its frustrations, and they raise the mind to higher things where the old saying really is true, the more the merrier. To say the church should be acculturated is to assume that there is a culture to begin with. There is not. There are mass habits developed by mass uh phenomenon, mass schooling, mass entertainment, mass politics, perhaps three forms of the same thing. The church must then do the hard, patient work of building up a culture where there is none. It is what I think Pope John Paul II was getting at when he called ours a culture of death. To say that we should bind ourselves to this time, or rather to attitudes, freeze-dried from 60 years ago is to tort that that culture building work it is to bind us to a corpse he ends it there very clever very clever you see that's the dead corpse the dead corpse is the the ideology of mar of marxist modernism 
it is constantly, it is uncertain of, of itself. It's built, Marxist modernism is built on self-loathing and hatred. Okay, we saw that in the shutdown. We saw that in, 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 in basically it ends up with the, the, the symbol of Marxist modernism is destruction, bricks, flying Molotov cocktails, um, the smash and the smash and destruction of property, the pulling down, the pulling down of statues, um, angry people with wearing face coverings to, to hide their identity, unhappy, broken homes, um, sexually abused, neglected, unloved. That's, that's modernism. And it's, it's the angry teenager who doesn't know who, who she is, doesn't have roots to grow on, single homes sent to private schools, um, maybe, you know, too much of one thing, too much, too much money, um, you know, it's, it's, that's what it is and it's sad. But it's true. All right. So um, Anthony Esselin, Anthony Esselin is a contributor editor at Crisis, is a professor and writer in residence at Magdalen College of the Liberal Arts. He is the author and most recently of Sex and the Unreal City. <laughs> I guess it's a play on Sex and the City. Ignatius Press 2020. All right. All right. So let's... Um, Let's end it here, and uh, maybe I'll get back with another article. There's one more, I think, Confession of a Modernist. I'll try to come back with that. God bless, folks, okay?